verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Father, we come before You this morning asking for You to reveal Yourself to us this morning. Cause us to leave here worshiping You more. Cause us this morning to see You more clearly. Father, for those who are weary, for those who are downcast, for those who have felt beaten up, would you bring encouragement and hope to them this morning? For your children who have tried taking the inheritance that you've given them and ran, who have been living a life of disobedience, would you be kind to them this morning and lead them to repentance? Would you show them that you are waiting with arms open wide to receive them like the prodigal son? And for those who are disobedient, for those who are maybe a little self-righteous, Would you convict them? Show them their self-righteousness. And for those whose hearts are hardened, whose hearts are hard, whose eyes are, are blind, would you reveal the glorious gospel? Would you show them your glorious grace this morning? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Martin Luther is known as one of the great reformers of the 16th century. In fact, A Mighty Fortress, the song we just sung, was written by Martin Luther. Did you know, though, that before this great reformer was a defender of the faith, he was a monk, a German monk, he was probably the hardest on himself than any monk has ever lived. He was so hard on himself, he, he's, he's written down things like this. L listen to what he has said about God in the past. I did not love, yes, hated the righteous God who punishes sinners, and I was angry with God. Uh, that takes guts to write down. Luther said this because he was aware of the reality of original sin. 
Luther was a workaholic. He was a, a perfectionist by nature who was obsessed with trying to keep the law of God perfect. And all the while he was trying to keep the law of God perfect, he was very self-aware and knew that it was impossible to do so because of his own sin. Luther would spend hours, hours, hours in the confessional, confessing sin. He actually has written down this. Sometimes my confessor said to me that when I repeatedly discussed silly sins with him, he said, you are a fool. Man, God is not angry with you, but you are angry with God. You see, Luther believed that through his works, he could contribute to his salvation. If I could just work hard enough, God will see me, be impressed with me, and I can earn God's blessing of salvation. In our pride, like Martin Luther, we somehow want to contribute to our salvation. It's hard for hard workers that don't have anything to do with their salvation receive their salvation. We don't want a handout from God. We want to give a reason to God that we should receive this salvation. But really, what we do when we think this way or believe this, whether knowingly or unknowingly, we are minimizing sin. And when we minimize our sin, we minimize the glorious grace of God. Have you ever wondered how God's sovereign choice in salvation could be good? In our passage today, we see that God the Father's plan of salvation is not an afterthought to Him. Instead, it's a proactive plan to choose people in Christ to be holy and blameless. It's a predetermined plan to adopt sinners through Jesus. It's a plan that has purpose to display God's glory, God's will, and God's glorious grace. We should see this morning that God's plan of salvation for sinners is a thought-out plan. He's chosen people to be holy. He's destined those same people for a family. And he's done it for a purpose far greater than we could ever possibly imagine. As we come to the beginning of our passage today, we see 
that God's plan of salvation for sinners is a thought-out plan. His, his plan of salvation is taken with serious importance and care to him. Really, we're seeing this in verses 4 through 14 as, as a whole. We're seeing that the Father chooses, the Son redeems, and the Spirit seals. But more specifically, in verses 4 through 6, show us how the Father acts in this great plan of salvation. Paul here says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Paul is talking about God choosing in this passage. We know this because of the context. We know this because of what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What Paul is saying here may startle us a bit. It may cause our hearts to fight back. That is that God chose us in Him. But that's not all, right? He chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us before the world was founded. Before God said, let there be light. Before God said, let us separate the light from the darkness. Before God said, let there be an expanse. Before God spoke the stars. Before he spoke this universe. Before the world was founded, Paul says here, he chose us in Christ. You know, I like to build things. In fact, if you look at the two tables out in the lobby, the connection section and the book nook, I built those. But when I build most of the time, I wing it. I look at something, I get inspiration, and I tell Sharice, I like to build this. So if you breathe on one of those tables out there and it collapses, you know why. I don't have a plan. I don't have a thought-out plan, which then tends to mean that I make quite a few trips to Home Depot, more trips than I care to make. God does not wing his salvation plan. He has a thought-out plan. You see, God choosing people is not foreign to Scripture. Let's think about this a little bit. Let's look back to Abram or Abraham. Here was a, a man who was minding his own business, living with his family, worshiping false gods. And God comes to him and says, I have chosen you to leave this place, that I will show you where you are to live. I will bring you to that place. I will make your offspring as numerous as possible. 
We see that it's God's doing because for whatever reason, he had chosen Abraham. Let's fast forward a little bit. Then there's Jacob and Esau. Before either is born, God comes to their mother, Rebekah, and tells her that it's not Esau, the firstborn, who would receive the blessing from me, but it is Jacob, the secondborn, that I've chosen to receive the blessing from me. Let's fast forward just even a little bit more now to a little shepherd boy who would become a king. As Samuel is going through Jesse's sons, it is God who is the one who is telling him who the king is. And as Samuel is going through these sons, not this one, not this one, not this one, all the, all the much that Samuel has to ask Jesse, is there another son? That son would have been out in the field. We even see this with the very man who is writing this letter. The Apostle Paul, who was actively trying to persecute the church. Paul was not searching. He he was not looking. He was actively persecuting, throwing Christians into jail. And God came to him and knocked him off his high horse. How encouraging this must have been to the church in Ephesus. Where the pagan religion around them says that the gods only take an interest in you if you do something for them. Where the the pagan gods say, I'm for you this day because you've done this for me, but because you didn't come to me this day, now I am against you. Where the church in Ephesus, they would have been used to seeing and living before they were in Christ in a type of way where they would have to contribute and perform to be noticed by the gods of their day. God knew that because of our sin, our free will leads us to choose our sin ten times out of ten. What does this mean? This means that we are actually all on the same playing level. The same playing field. What this means is that there is not one person born who is more moral than the next person. This means that you did not have to work or contribute to catch the attention of God so that he would look at you and say, this is a pretty impressive Christian. This is a pretty impressive person. I want them. No, we all fall short of the glory of God and deserve his just wrath. 
We were all, as Paul says later in this letter, are dead in our sins, enemies of God, and God, knowing our rebellious hearts, still chose us to be holy and blameless, our passage goes on to say. He chose us in Him. He chose us in Him that we should be holy and blameless before Him. I I wonder if this reminds you at all of what took place in the Old Testament. When God delivered Israel from being slaves to Egypt, this is what God tells Israel. For you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. When we talk about God's sovereign choice and salvation, some unfairly come at God and say, well then why bother obey God? If I'm chosen, then that means I can just continue to keep on sinning. Brother, sister, God's sovereign choice in salvation doesn't lead a person to sin more. It leads to their sanctification. Is that not what our passage teaches us today? Even as you were chosen in Him, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless, God's choice in salvation doesn't lead to people sinning more. It leads to their good, their sanctification. To be holy, to be blameless. To be the bride of Christ. Do you desire holiness? Do you pursue to look more like Christ? Not that you are perfect, but that you have the desire. This is what a person who has been chosen in Him desires. Holiness, godliness. Because, of God's, because God's plan of salvation for sinners is a thought-out plan, He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him. At this point, some unfairly think that means God has made us just to be robots. This couldn't be further from the truth, however. God's plan of salvation for sinners is a thought-out plan. We are made in the image of God. A people whom God cares deeply about. A people who God destined for a family. 
This is what we're seeing in our passage this morning. In love, he, he predestined or he predetermined or he destined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. When a couple has pure motives to adopt, the adoption is out of love. Even as the unknowns flash before their eyes, the motivation to adopt is in love. Likewise, it was out of God's love that He determined you to be adopted. before we could love him, before we could think about loving him, before we could think about thinking about loving him, he loved us first. In most cases of adoption, you don't know what the child will be like when you receive them. You don't know the story of neglect, of abuse. The child could possibly have special needs. But it's the love that you already have for the child that carries you through the adoption process. In an even greater way, God already knew the sin that you would commit against him. He already knew the sin that would be committed against you and that would bring you shame. He, he, he knew of the baggage that you would be carrying. He knew of the hostility in your heart that you would have towards Him. And yet when He chose you, He chose you because of His love into His family. Warts and all. Out of love, He destined you, sinner, to be a part of His family. To have a heavenly father who sees you as his child, one of his own, that he loves dearly. And because the Ephesians didn't bow the knee to the pagan gods and goddesses, they would have been excluded from their society. they would have been seen as out of touch with the culture, old-fashioned. And so they would have been tempted and told, come back to the modern gods. They would have been reminded We'll let you back in if you just 
do these things, then you can be a part of our family again. I wonder if you feel this pressure from the world we live in. Really, what the temptation was for the church in Ephesus is the same temptation that we as humans, we as Christians face today. If you want to be long a part of our family, you need to take up this cause. Speak out against this thing. Accept this way. If you're silent or you lack affirmation, then you're on the outside of the family. Let me say this for you this morning. Jesus died for your adoption. Jesus died for you to be a part of his family. It was through Jesus that we receive this adoption. Are you here this morning and feeling the weight of your inadequacy? Feeling that you just can't do enough just and righteous acts in this world to make it a better place. Let me say this for you this morning. The reason why you're feeling the weight of inadequacy is because you are seeing the weight of sin. Your conscience is showing you your own sin and inadequacy to be able to deal with the just and righteous acts that need to be performed. The, your conscience is revealing to you the sin of this world. We cannot wipe away the stain of sin from this world, but Jesus can and he has. And it's by trusting in him that you are then called into a mission of kingdom work that transcends this world. It's by trusting in Jesus that not only you are called into this mission, but you are not called into it by yourself. You are then called into it with a family. Trust in Jesus. He is the forgiver of sins. He will freely forgive you of your sins. But the why question might still linger in our mind. Why does God choose us? Why did he destine us for adoption through Jesus? It's right here where, quite frankly, I don't know if I will give you the answer that you want. But it's the answer that I see in our text this morning, which reads, it's according to the purpose of his will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Paul leaves us hanging in the balance between mystery and knowledge. 
We know that God's plan of salvation is a thought-out plan. We, we just saw how God has chosen us in Him to be holy and blameless, how He has destined us for adoption. And now Paul tells us it's because of God's will that He does this. In fact, other translations, it reads His pleasure and will. This is a part of the answer to the why question. It is out of God's pleasure and His will that He chose us. I can't help but wonder if this was why Paul went off into this praise as he's starting this letter and he says, Apostle, not by my will, but by God's will. And as he's reflecting on that, he's realizing it was not my will that I became an apostle. It was solely and utterly God's will that made me an apostle. You know, as an athlete, I always tried to hear from my coaches why they chose me to start for their teams. I know it sounds really needy of me to do that. But then again, we love to be told by our significant others or others why they love us. It made me feel important. It made me feel that I contributed, that my efforts paid off. We love to be told why someone wants us, why they need us. But what our passage is teaching is hard for hardworking do-it-yourselfers to believe. That is, Christian, God chose you because it was out of His pleasure that He chose you. It was out of His will that He chose you. He, he did not look down the corridors of time and somehow see all of the good works that you could do or that you would choose Him so that He then would choose you. No, he, he chose you for the simple fact that he took pleasure in it. He took pleasure in adopting you as a child. It was according to his will that he would do so. But, but it's not only out of his pleasure and will, is it? Our, our passage doesn't end right there. God choosing us to be holy was a part of it, yes. God destining us to his family was a part of it, yes. But it was also to display his glorious grace through Jesus. We have contributed nothing to our salvation. We were so stuck in our sin. So set in our ways to keep on sinning, God shows us just how glorious He is that while yet we were still sinners, still enemies, He sent Jesus to die for us. 
He does this to show us his glorious grace. He does this to show this world his glorious grace. That is that he takes those who are spiritually dead and he raises them to life. This should cause our burst, our hearts to burst with joy. That God's grace is displayed to the world by choosing sin-sick sinners to be holy and blameless, to be his children, to be adopted into his family. God's plan of salvation is a very thought-out plan. His plan of salvation is out of his pleasure, and it's to display his glorious grace through Christ. Let me say it one more time for us this morning. God's plan of salvation for sinners is a thought-out plan. What great news this is that we have a dependable God who before the world was founded proactively chose sinners in Christ to be holy and blameless. Chose enemies and destined them to be a part of his family. Not to be a robot, to be, to be a precious daughter, a treasured son. This may be a hard saying, but you and I, we were not chosen because we were lovely. We were chosen because God took pleasure. It was out of His will, it was for His glorious grace. This is why the doctrine of election and predestination should cause us to be the most humble human beings on earth. It should give us a tremendous amount of hope and assurance. It should cause us to look at God and desire to worship Him more. Because God's plan of salvation is not an afterthought. This means you were not an afterthought to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you saw us in a desperate state, that you knew just how dirty and sin-filled our hearts would be, and yet you still chose us in him to be holy and blameless, to destine us to a family, to do it out of your pleasure and your will, to display your glorious grace. And so we thank you Amen.